Discretionary listener participation is advised for the following pro wrestling podcast. about the Sticks Wrestling Podcast. I want to thank Fleetwood Mac for writing that song about their favorite podcast, Sticks Wrestling, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed we'll give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast. Sticks Wrestling is a weekly classic wrestling show. We mainly talk about 70s, 80s, and early 90s wrestling. And today we're going to be right in the middle of that. And before we get rolling, I want to thank Mark Rockin' Rollin' for his generous contribution to the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I also want to thank Matthew Hahn for contributing to Stick to Wrestling. If you would like to contribute to Stick to Wrestling, this free and ad-free show, uh, just PayPal me at ProWrestlingArchives at gmail.com. No amount is too low and certainly no amount is too much. If you're a billionaire, just give me a couple of million dollars, okay? Christmas is coming. Think of me. And before, once again, before I get rolling, I want to invite you to uh, join our Facebook group. It's a cool group where we talk about wrestling. I've got Les Takaks, uh getting everyone riled up with his um, slaughtering sacred cow post. He, he's gone after Jerry Lawler and uh, someone else so far. But it was like, you know, oh, uh, Bruno Sammartino. And so it's a fun group. You get to interact with other intelligent wrestling fans, and I encourage you to join. Also, follow me on Twitter while you still can. Uh, just put in John McAdam and search for the guy with the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. And with that, I want to bring on a guest. We're going to talk about the uh, the tw- the 40th anniversary of the 1982 uh, World Class Championship Wrestling Star Wars show is upon us it's two days after this podcast comes out with one of the greatest and most influential main events of all time it is available for you to view on peacock i want to bring in popular returning guest chris tabar chris thank you for taking the time john thanks for having me back i very much appreciate you asking Hey, no problem. You were always a superb guest. So we're going to talk about that entire show. But, Tave, I can't believe it's been 40 years. My goodness. That is a – boy, we are old. <laughs> that, yeah. is, that is a long, long time, 40, 40 years, and we're still talking about it. That and we're show, still talking something about it. You know, that that's an excellent point. We are still talking about it. I mean, the, the, this show sent out shockwaves throughout the wrestling industry. We talked a little bit about the what led up to this show. Uh, the Freebirds, uh, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, had invaded world-class championship wrestling. Now we are way stocked with superstars on the babyface side, and the heels are like King Kong Bundy and Wild Bill Irwin. So... And the entire year of 1982, they have been building up to this match. Ric Flair has been narrowly escaping with his NWA championship uh, due to all kinds of weird circumstances. But this is going to, looks like it's going to be Kerry's night. Kerry has signed for a cage match with Ric Flair. And Michael Hayes, Kerry's friend, has been voted the special guest referee. So it looks like Ric Flair is cornered, and we're going to see a new NWA heavyweight champion. But before we get to that match, let's talk about a little bit about the other matches. The opener was, at least on television, they did not show these matches um, in order on television. We're going to go with the TV order. The first match is for the new 
World Six-Man Tag Team Championship, a newly created championship. They have a, a blatantly fictitious worldwide tournament, and it has come down to the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts, who we have not seen on TV yet, against Iron Mike Sharp, Ben Sharp, and Tom Steele. Your thoughts coming into this match, Dave? You know, I... In looking looking up my and my notes on this, I don't think I realized that this was that the title didn't exist before this, or I just wasn't paying attention and making <laughs> just hadn't noted it. My um, thought is, I love the way that they kind of that they that they led into the show with the Freebirds as as baby faces, and they're building them up. I thought the I know you've talked about the build in previous shows, but the build leading to this card and leading to this this match is excellent and now here we are we're creating what's going to end up being a gimmick for the next few years as part of the as part of the feud that you know that object that the, the thing that the teams are going to need to to fight over uh it's granted the other side of the the coin with the sharps and steel is not exactly a powerhouse team but hey we get the six man title and we're off and rolling now, I have some nitpicky things with the booking here, but it looks like they are planning things out. They are creating this six-man tag team championship, which they're going to be building the entire promotion around, something that was a novelty in wrestling. As far as I know, there were no world six-man tag team champions of any kind coming into this match. That's correct. I think the I think the only other one I can ever remember is the one that uh, got created in Crockett Promotions a couple you know, a few years after this. I don't remember any other one before or really after, other than maybe some indie groups. But this is, I think, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, and and the Crockett one, let's be honest, was kind of a joke. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a joke. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, it sounds like they, it feels like they put a lot of thought into this. And before we get rolling on this match, let's hear from Kevin and David Von Erich. Let's hear their pre-match comments. Well, tonight, for the first time, the world-class six-man tag team championship will be held here at Reunion Arena. And we talked to David and Kevin Von Erich about their part and how they would have been involved in it, but except they just have too many championships. Well, that's right, Bill. You know, uh, we're looking forward to whoever whoever may win this title tonight. Uh, really, we favor the Freebirds. I think they're a better team than uh, the Sharps and, and Steel. Uh, but we are next in line, and uh, we have Kerry and I. Since Kerry is wrestling the world champion tonight, we couldn't be involved in this this round-robin tournament. But uh, the Von Erichs will prevail. And we will get our shot, even though Kerry will be the world heavyweight champion after tonight. We will have our shot at taking the six-man world heavyweight championship. And I'm sure that everybody out there watching this knows, and I'm not just blowing smoke up anybody else's uh, balloon or anything like that. I really mean it through, through my heart and from my heart because we have you people backing us. And I know that we can beat anybody, any six-man tag team combination in the country Let's today. You know, uh, Dave's got a real good point there, Bill. Uh, I, I haven't seen the Freebirds that much, but I, you know, Dave, they're good buddies with his, and I, and I feel like they're they're really going to be a tough team. I haven't had a chance to watch, but if the Von Erichs were in there, the three of us being brothers, I don't think there's any way we could be stopped. But the situation being the way it is with Kerry with the world champion, all we can do is, uh, is uh, you know, stick it out and wrestle in our individual matches. I wish we had a shot at it, though. Really, yeah, it's really going to be a big night, and uh, 
I'm looking forward to it. I wish Cure the very best. And one of these days, I think we'll be the six-man champions. As soon as David said, blowing smoke up someone's balloon, I would have been like, cut, cut, <laughs> cut. We're starting over. <laughs> you know, I, it's promos like that that make it hard for me to accept that David Von Erich was some future megastar. I mean, that's that's not a, a completely horrible promo, but let's be honest, that's not exactly the greatest promo anybody's ever heard. But he does do a nice job of setting the tone, saying, hey, we, you know, we're ready to go. He kind of lays the groundwork for, you know, we don't care who who's the champions are. We'll take on the Freebirds, even though they're our friends, that kind of thing. But that's not exactly... <laughs> Uh, that's not exactly Dusty Rhodes at his best type of promo. Same with Kevin. Neither one of them really kind of set anything on fire there. No, and I will defend David. I think he's 22 or 23 years old here. I thought he, I thought he was going to get a lot better, but I, I agree with your point. They are laying the groundwork. The Von Ericks are interested in this six-man tag team championship, and they are definitely dropping hints to what's coming in the future. Yeah, and David's actually 24 there, by the way. He's, Is he? Yeah, he's, he, yeah. Yeah, he, he, remember, he's older than Kerry. So he's, uh, he's actually 24 there. Um, he was born in 1958, according to my notes. Okay. Uh, but either way, he's still very young. He's still kind of figuring it out. And he, uh, he's just back from Florida. He'd spent, uh, you know, he'd spent a lot of 82 in Florida. So he's, you know, he's gotten much better on the microphone, they tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I think, too, they, they also mentioned, that, or Kevin mentioned that, yeah, these guys are friends with, uh, with David. Like, Kevin didn't say, I'm, I'm friends with the Freebirds. He said David is friends with the Freebirds. Well, and he also says that he hasn't seen them much, even though they've been on TV, even though they've been on the, in the, on the arena. So it's not, so clearly he's not, he's not hanging around with them. Yet. And that's a good point. They're David's friends. They're not Carrie's friends. They're not Kevin's friends. There's, there's already kind of that, that dividing line, like, okay, they're, we, we, you know, we're, we accept them because he's the, they're friends with our brother, but we're not exactly super tight with them. Yeah, and I thought that was a neat little wrinkle that they threw in there that, you know, and they had mentioned previously that David knew Michael Hayes from when David was wrestling in Florida and Georgia, even though David never wrestled in Georgia, but it doesn't matter. They're they're doing the right thing here. Buddy Roberts is supposed to make his debut on this night, but they tell us that he is snowbound in Colorado. I want to talk a little bit about Buddy Roberts. He was, for all intents and purposes, retired at this point. I, I looked up at cagematch.net. It's a great resource. He had three matches total in 1982. And I figured, you know, like I said, I figured once he was gone from the Freebirds in Atlanta, he retired. And Buddy had a weird career. Like his career started floundering when the Hollywood Blondes broke up. And then he turned into Dale Valentine, which was kind of weird because he was Dale Valentine in Dallas as, you know, Johnny Valentine's uh, supposed son, which, of course, didn't work because how, how's Johnny Valentine going to get heel heat when he's, you know, in, in the condition that he was? And then he got involved, Buddy Roberts got involved with the Freebirds, and 
you know, Bill Watts is the one who put them together. Hayes and Gordy didn't like it at first. And here at this point, Buddy Roberts is in his mid-30s, which completely took me aback. I thought he was at least 10 years older, Chris. Oh, gosh. He, he looks, yeah, mid, mid-30s. mid Holy cow. He looks 45, 50, easy. Wow. If if you thought Dory Funk Jr. looked old <laughs> at, at a young age, <laughs> Buddy definitely has that same thing going. Wow. I didn't realize that. I also didn't realize that he was retired at this, basically retired. I, I somehow had missed it. I know he's kind of bounced around and his career had floundered. I didn't realize he had had so few matches in 82 before this. No, Buddy was definitely on the milk cart. When the Freebirds, when Michael Hayes turned babyface in Georgia in 1981, Buddy just kind of vanished, and I, I just figured that was the end of him. I didn't realize he was like 34. But Buddy does not show up, as I mentioned. They And so Michael Hayes says, okay, you know, it'll be two on three. David Von Erich comes out, and he volunteers to take the place of Buddy Roberts. Well, let's hear David do that. I'm sure everybody is aware of weather conditions this time of year. <sighs> Buddy called us about an hour and a half ago. It was in Denver, Colorado, trying to reroute to here. And the airport told him there was no way to get out. And I'm going to tell everybody here that my brother and I were proud to be the American delegation to fight for this sixth world man tag team title match. Especially on Christmas night. Now the fact that we don't have Buddy here, we're two against three. I give you my body for this match. I would have been like, no, David, just wrestle, okay? David, we're five minutes into this, and you've already dropped the ball twice. What are we doing here? <laughs> I have forgotten that line. That's that, that's quality <laughs> stuff right there. I give you my body for this match. Not, hey, can I join you? Not, hey, I'll step in for buddy. No, 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 no. I'll give you my body. 
I'll give you this grasshopper looking thing that I got stuck with anyway. Uh, uh, one observation I have about this match, and you had mentioned this, Tabe, Mike Sharp, Ben Sharp, and Tom Steele. You're, you've got 20,000 or so people in the building. I, I, I'm pretty sure they flew at least Iron Mike Sharp in anyway. Fly a real six-man tag team in. Fly in the Rat Pack. Fly in the Samoans. You've already got Samu in the territory. Like, you bring in someone who you would think has a chance against the Freebirds in this match. Clearly, there couldn't have been one person in the building that didn't think the Freebirds were winning this thing. Yeah, you know, I had, like I said, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta bring in somebody. Yeah. You know, it's gotta, it's some kind something that looks like a real unit, guys that are, it doesn't even have to be guys that are gonna be in the promotion the following week, but somebody that's, that, that looks credible, because like you said, there's, you, just looking at those, the two sides, there's not a chance in the world Anybody thought that the uh, that the steels or that steel and the sharps were going to win? No way. No, and no way at all. And like I said, you're you're drawing at least a hundred fifty thousand dollar house. Make it look good for television. Make it look good for your fans. Agreed. I do love the idea though of having David come out and help out the the free birds. And again, it's it, there's so many little things along the way and, and big things along the way that they did to build up to the main event on this card and this this match right here is just another piece to it you know putting david in this match look how close we are they're my friends we can work together we're going to win a championship and i'm such an unselfish guy that i'll give the title back to buddy all of that stuff it all leads to that main event and it's it's really really well done i you know i and i say this in a good way i thought i i can imagine being a fan at Reunion Arena on this night. I mean, they gave you a lot to take in, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, they David Von Erich comes in, helps the Freebirds win the championships. You know, he would he would do it for his brothers. I'm doing it for you. I understand this whole thing. One thing I notice about this match, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy are over like crazy with this crowd as baby faces. Michael Hayes was over immediately. Like the very first, the, from the very first moment he stepped foot in the ring as a, and gave, and did a promo, and it wasn't even the best promo in the world. They were over like gangbusters from day one in, da- in Dallas. Well, of course the baby faces win this match. And Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy are on one side of the ring in one corner, like hugging and jumping up and down and celebrating. And David Von Erich noticeably, is on the other side of the ring all by himself being ignored for at least a little while. I thought they did a great job with this tape because it was, it put the point across that the Freebirds might be a little less unselfish than David Von Eric, but it wasn't in your face. It was subtle enough. Well, exactly. And they're, so, they're, they're celebrating. It's it, on the one hand, it makes sense because they're, they're, you know, they're brothers and it's not something that you may notice at the moment, you know, you see, maybe you say it's something you, if you watch it later, knowing what's coming is, Oh, okay. Yeah. They, they, it's a, it's real subtle. And maybe 1% of the crowd picks it up like, wow, David's on the other side of the ring. Why isn't he jumping up and down uh, with, with Hayes and Gordy real subtle again, just yet another piece 
real, real subtle piece, putting putting all the pieces there for for the big thing that's coming later in the night. I am just imagining being one of the people who attended this event live, and then couple a week, couple of weeks later, you're watching this on TV, and you go, "Aha! He is definitely the Freebirds are definitely not showing enough gratitude here, and they are treating David as if he were an afterthought." Exactly. That's a that yeah. I can totally see it clicking for somebody who who was in the arena that night. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's hear what the Freebirds and David Von Erich have to say after the match. And here's a new world-class six-man tag team championship, the first ever David Von Erich filling in. Woo! All right, listen. I got one thing to say, and I want everybody to hold on just one second, please. Wait a second, Michael, Terry. I know you guys do this for me because I know the quality guys you are. Since your brother was unable to make this tonight, I'm relinquishing my third of the world tag team title to give to your brother, Buddy, because a brother team should be the six-man world tag team, and I think you boys, men, deserve it. Well, that's, that's it. That is really something. That is say, really man. something. Hey, all I can say is just really great, man. Hey, I, I feel real good right now because, you know, this is something we worked for a long time. I couldn't feel no better, man. I feel great. We're number one, man, six-man tag team champions. Fabulous Freebirds. We're going all the way, man. All thank, right. you, thank you, Michael. Thank you, David. The six-man world-class championship. And David Miner gives up his third. All right, David, uh, starting to make a comeback here. I know you do this for me. Yeah, I know you do this for me. Here you go. And and thank you, Bill Mercer, for thanking Michael Hayes, even though Terry Gordy was the one talking. <laughs> I, I, you know what, by the time we're done, I'm going to have a lot of good things to say about Bill Mercer, even though we all know he wasn't the greatest announcer. But I, I'm, I will be putting him over uh, towards the end of this conversation. Hayes sells it like he can't believe what David Von Erich is doing. He's, you know, his eyes are bugging out. Hayes, now, once again, we're being a little bit subtle here. Michael Hayes is coming across as a little bit of a little bit unstable, perhaps. Yeah, and it, it's, but again, it's, it's, it's a little, he's a little unstable, but it's subtle. And, it's subtle, right. And, and you can, and, but it also, it's also letting come across the selfishness, like, oh, I, you know, you do that, and you keep saying that, that we would do it, but maybe we wouldn't return the favor completely. And, and Terry Gordy, now Hayes sells it like, oh my God, thank you so much. Gordy's like, yeah, of course you're going to do this for me. And again, we, we keep using the word subtle, but I like what they're doing here. Yeah. It, yep, exactly. They, the build here, the long-term booking and the laid out plan here is just excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I have to say something else nice about David Von Erich. If you watch this interview on Peacock, David Von Erich is huge. Now, let me define huge. When you tower, when you're a half a head bigger than Terry Gordy and a full head bigger than Michael Hayes, you're a big dude. Yeah, for all of the times that I've criticized David Von Erich and ripped on him or whatever, no question, he's a big, big guy, like a legitimately big guy in a world of big dudes. Yeah, absolutely. And if he continued filling out and as everybody thought he would, yeah, he would have been a very, very impressive physical specimen. 
I feel like it's been years since I said this, so I will go ahead and say it again. I mean, he reminded me of Barry Windham when Barry Windham first started off. And if you see video or photos of Barry Windham in 1979 or 1980, I mean, he's he's great Ganya then, but and yeah. he filled out. Yeah, well, just look at how how often we see that in the NBA. Look at Giannis. Uh, I can't even pronounce his last name, but look at Giannis. He started out very thin. You know, and there, and we see that with a lot of those guys. There, you know, when you're six eight, six nine, or whatever, you know, six seven, whatever David was at nineteen, twenty years old, there's a real good chance that you're not going to be filled out. You're going to be very thin, and it worked. It worked out. For, it works out for a lot of those guys. And you can clearly see David as he got older, at, right before he passed away, he was filling out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a guy thing. I mean, when I was in my early teens, mid-teens, even late teens, it was hard for me to put weight on. And then, shock of shocks, I turned 21, 22, and it's harder for me to keep weight off. <laughs> I, uh, I had the exact same experience. Couldn't gain a couldn't gain an ounce in high school, and now uh, not so much a problem anymore. <laughs> yes, yeah, to say the very least, I have to. I have to say, I, I, for, for thirty years, I've had to say no to things for heaven's sake, which I didn't have to do when I was younger. But anyway, let's go now. More audio, and once again, everyone loves when I do this. Audio, whenever we use it on this show, is for review purposes only. David Manning is about to explain the rules of a pole battle royal. Let's roll. Here tonight with David Manning. Before we have the pole match for $10,000, David, I want you, you're the referee, and I want you to explain just exactly how this pole match works. Well, Bill, we're starting out with about, I believe, 16 or 18 guys in the ring. A man can be eliminated by being pinned, thrown over the top rope, or if he wants to submit. There's going to be a lot of action going on in the ring. There's uh, one referee on the floor to make sure if one referee doesn't see with this many men, someone get thrown over the top, he's there to make sure he leaves. The match will continue until there's only three wrestlers left in the ring. At that time, say there's four left. When that man's eliminated, the fourth one, the match will be stopped. These three men now have a chance for the $10,000. We'll take the 10000 put it at the top of that pole. Now then, the object change. It's whoever, they don't have to eliminate down to one man. Whoever climbs that pole is going to get the 10000 They can all three go for it at once, one at the time, whatever. But it's really exciting if you've never seen a pole match. A lot of wild things happen. They're all going to be going for that 10000 Never know. One guy might just pin the other two and then walk up there and get it nice and uh, freely. But I haven't seen that happen yet. i got a feeling it's going to be right down to the wire. So in a sense, it's sort of a no disqualification. Anything you can do to get rid of a guy, you can do in this match. Well, that's right, Bill. Uh, even though it doesn't say there's a no disqualification on notice on the program, usually in a match like this, if, if a man does something that really you know portrays the rules or whatever, we will disqualify him and, and eliminate him from the match. These things can get kind of wild, as you know. Here you got most of Hart's men involved. you got uh, Devastation Incorporated, Bundy in there, and uh, you, everybody knows his greed. So anything can happen. you got uh, Von Erich. The Von Erich brothers are going to be in there. So uh, it's going to be wild and exciting. A lot of times two or three guys may team up and eliminate this guy and eliminate that guy and build it right down and, and maybe split the cash at the end. There's a lot of things can happen we never know. But uh, I haven't seen one yet that's not exciting, and I'm just really glad the people are going to get a chance to see it on TV. It's very unpredictable. Thank you, David Manning. Thank you, Bill. Tabe, I am not a big David Manning fan, not only for his on-camera stuff, but some of the stuff that I've heard about uh, off-camera. That said, 
I thought that was a really good segment. I mean, who better than a referee to explain what the rules of this kind of weird match are? And I, I thought he did a good job explaining. I thought he cut a good promo here. See, I I don't think I agree because he, he says, first of all, um, that the, at, once they're down to three guys, that uh, your one person has to climb the pole, and we don't – he had just gotten done saying pins don't matter, but well, maybe they could pin the other two guys and then climb the pole. Well, maybe it's a no disqualification. Maybe it's <laughs> not. So, you know, I love the idea of having the referee explain the rules. And I thought in general, if you're not paying too close of attention, I think it's a, it's a really good promo. <laughs> just listening to him talk about, well, yeah, you can pin the other two guys and then climb the pole. Meh. You know, maybe not, but uh, it is. You know, it's a good idea. It's a, it's a, exp- have somebody explain something because like this is the type of match that you just don't see all the time. So yeah, have the referee explain it. Tell how it's different. Not a bad idea. No, not at all. And you're right. Maybe the the best thing to do is just not pay that close attention because you're right. I did catch that. Well, it's a no DQ match unless we feel like disqualifying you. <laughs> yeah, maybe they go way out of the bounds. <laughs> then, then we'll disqualify the guy in a no disqualification match. <laughs> uh, one, now, in this match, it was won by Ken Mantell uh, in the ring where Al Madrill, Ben Sharp, Wild Bill Irwin, Brian Adidas, Bugsy McGraw, Checkmate, David Von Erich, Frank Dusick, Jose Lothario, King Kong Bundy, Mike Sharp, The Spoiler, and Tom Steele. How was King Kong Bundy ever getting up that pole? If, if I was anywhere near that pole at, in, at ringside, and I see Bundy climbing up that thing, I'm getting out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no way that pole is holding up big King Kong Bundy for sure. Uh, but anyway, I and I, I if you've heard me on the show years back, I mean, I always thought the Battle Royal had it had kind of an artificial charisma it sounded so good on television it's going to be this wild brawl all 20 guys going at it and when you actually pay your money and then you see the battle royal and what it is you're like oh man it's a bunch of guys standing around i don't know why they put this on tv chris i mean not only are you taking the luster off it there were other better choices on this show that did not get televised yeah this is a definitely an, an odd choice and like you said you know they they battle royals don't ever live up to the hype they they can't they, because you can't with that many guys big people in a, in a ring. There's not much you can do. And, you know, if nothing else, also, this kind of exposes that the roster in world class is not the greatest because you got everybody in this match except for Kerry and a, or even the Freebirds. I don't remember. No, the Freebirds aren't in it. So, you know, except for a handful of guys, everybody's in the ring and there's like no star power here. You got one or two, you got, uh, one or two of the Von Erichs, you got King Kong Bundy and a whole lot of riffraff, basically. Yeah. Not to, not to be too hard on guys, but you're, you're essentially talking bottom middle card at best and there's 18 guys in the ring. I mean, this isn't, you know, its own episode of Stick to Wrestling. This could be its own podcast itself. I mean, it's the very end of 1982 and certainly a lot of the people who watch world class championship wrestling who who went to this show, they're getting 
uh, WTBS, they're getting the, the wrestling in Atlanta. They're getting WOR from New York. They're getting maybe Southwest Championship Wrestling from uh, San Antonio. So I guess my long-winded point is, before I started getting magazines in 1976, the WWF or the WWWF was its own world, and it had no interference from the outside. Then I started getting the magazines. I started comparing, and it's like, okay, this isn't the greatest product, but it's it's the only one I have. And I'm thinking the fans of Dallas are all getting at least one of those shows, and they're kind of looking at the Georgia roster and kind of looking at the WWF roster and looking at the world-class roster and saying, okay, there's a big difference here. Yeah, I don't know if you look at I don't know if you look at uh at the WWF roster so much cuz you know that that car that roster wasn't the deepest in 1982. They were still pushing guys like Buddy Rose who's let's great wrestler but not exactly you know, not exactly an ideal guy. But yeah, the the roster is definitely thin when you're st- when you're still pushing Checkmate and Bugsy McGraw and guys like that. Your roster is not the greatest. No, it isn't. The, the checkmate thing was kind of cute, but at the end of the day, it's a, a, a smaller guy in the middle of the card. He just doesn't have that much charisma. Let's hear from Ken Mantell, who is simply overjoyed after getting his $10,000 after winning this match. Well, you know, it's really a, a happy day when you can pick up $10,000. a tough match. What a Christmas present. Bill Mercer, what a Christmas present. I never thought, well, I thought I had a chance, but there were so many men in there of such quality. I just can't believe I got it. Well, the former junior heavyweight champion ought to have a $10,000 prize. Again, congratulations. Thank you. There he is, Ken Mantell, who has picked it. What are you going to do with that now? What are you going to do with the quick, sudden uh, inheritance like that? Oh, you know, Bill, there's so many good uses that I can put it to, but... I just want to say that it's made a, a fabulous Christmas for me and for my whole family. You know, times are, you know, the economics, times are bad. This is really going to help out. It's going to help me and my whole family. And I really am excited. I'm just, I just know what to say. Well, I, I can understand. the. Uh, I, boy, you look at those numbers on there. It's great. Congratulations again, Ken. Thank you. The winner of the $10,000 pole match battle royal. You can't have interviews like that all the time. That said, I thought that was a great interview. The the mid-card babyface wins the battle royal, wins ten grand. That's a lot of money now, never mind in 1982. He's talking about his family. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, that's a terrific promo. It kind of it kind of dies a little bit when Mercer asks him what he's going to spend it on. But that that fir- the first part where he's just he's overwhelmed and he's excited and oh my god, I can't believe this happened. I you know I somehow outlasted all of this world class talent and and oh my god, it's just amazing. And I I you know I didn't think I had a chance. Well, I thought I had a chance. You know that's a yeah that's an excellent promo. And I'm gonna I'm gonna buy some do stuff for my family this is wonderful and times are tough and yeah that is yeah you can't do it all the time but that was an excellent interview no i agree you get you can't you have to save that for the rare interview but he did it and he he, i thought he ran he did a great job with it 
I just don't understand why Ken Mantell won this match other than the fact that he was the booker. They they did nothing with him after this. <laughs> yeah, he's that's it. I think you answered your own question. Why did he win yeah. it? Because he because he's the guy picking the winners. Uh, and it was funny. They didn't give him like an oversized check or anything. They gave him just a standard check. One thing I noticed, and I, I, I was looking at the, um, at the show at cagematch.net, which is another great resource. And they had the, ma- the matches listed. They had this as the last match. And I was like, there's no way. And I look at this and it absolutely was the last match. A lot of people had already left after the carry match. And there were just a lot of empty seats. And when this one was over, you could see everyone leaving. Okay, I used to go to the Boston Garden and see cage matches. It took forever to put the cage up. I'm talking literally 20, 25, even 30 minutes. It took probably good t- 15 minutes to take it down. To me, that's why you ha- – I mean, you don't have that match on last. A lot of people just didn't want to see it after Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair. I hadn't realized that this one on last. That's it. That doesn't make any sense. You know, why the, the, there's, you can't, you can't have anything after that. What, after that cage match that you've built the whole night around that, you're way, you're wasting time and you, I, boy, that blows my mind. I didn't realize that the pole match was last. That just, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. You have to take down the cage and put up the pole. And these people are emotionally spent. Like I said, you know, I noticed a lot of people had cleared out after this match. Okay, now we're going to, this was put on uh, two different episodes on World Class Championship Wrestling. That was the end of the first episode. Beginning of the second episode, we have Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair doing their pre-match promos. Let's hear it from them. Tonight, before this World Heavyweight Championship match, we had a chance to talk to both wrestlers. First, let's talk to Kerry Von Erich about his challenge. Yeah, Bill, I feel great about tonight. You know, I got all my friends here. I'm mentally ready and physically ready. And, Bill, I can't wait. I'm really excited. You know, Reunion Arena is the hot spot of the country right now. And it's Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich. And it's very exciting to me. And the, the air is just electrified out there right now. The people, you can feel the tension, and the people are ready, and I'm looking forward to getting in that cage. And on the other side of the ring, the dapper and confident world champion, Ric Flair. Here are his comments. Well, of course, I'm always concerned about a top contender like Kerry Von Erich, but this time Von Erich has put himself in a position. I'm not only talking about Kerry. I'm talking about the whole family, the old man included. Fritz himself. They put themselves in a position where it's a do-or-die situation. I'm the world heavyweight champion. I'm the greatest wrestler alive. And tonight, I'm in a cage match with Kerry Von Erich. One man is going to walk out of that ring. One man is going to walk out of that cage, the world heavyweight champion. Ladies and gentlemen, you remember one thing. Diamonds are forever. So was Ric Flair, and that championship was going to be mine until I take it off and put it on the shelf. Tonight, Kerry Von Erich, you are going to pay the price of a wrestling lifetime for thinking that one day in your life you were half the man that Ric Flair is every day, brother, tonight, Daddy. 
It's been a long way. The bounty, the battle between the Von Erichs and Ric Flair, Gary Hart involved. We'll find out tonight as Kerry Von Erich challenges for the World Heavyweight Challenge and his challenge against the champion, Ric Flair. It'll be coming up. Kate, please share your thoughts with the Stick to Wrestling universe on those two interviews. Well, first of all, I, I like so this, I like Kerry's promo, even though he's not the greatest talker. But he gets it. He get. I think he kind of hits all the points. You know, I'm ready. Um, this is what I've been building for. Uh, you know, and he comes across humble and kind of, you know, a little on the slow side, maybe just a little bit. But he kind. But it's an. It's an. I think it's an excellent interview. And then you transition to to Flair, and it's not the flamboyant Ric Flair that you that you see so often. It's it's. I'm, I'm getting ready for battle. I'm serious. But I'm still the best. You're gonna pay the price. I'm gonna be the guy that walks out. I think, I think both of these are absolutely top-notch promos. I agree with you, and I think you know to the point you made about Kerry. I think the world-class fans embrace Kerry for who he was. Like they know he's not going to come home with a Masters from Rice or Stanford, right? But he is what he is. He's a nice, likable kid. He's a hard fighter. He's a warrior. I thought both segments were great. It really felt like this had a big fight feel. It felt like, you know, both guys are in a do-or-die position. There's no way out for Ric Flair this time. He is in a cage in a no-disqualification match. There must be a winner. This is it. Yeah, but, team, he- I'm like Kanye. I always find something wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> they absolutely needed Ric Flair needed to say, say something about Michael Hayes being the special guest referee, and he didn't, and I felt like he needed to. You know, now that you mentioned that, I hadn't, I, I watched the the promo again last night and now listening to it again today. I, it, didn't, it didn't occur to me, but he did, you know, he said it's, it's, kind, it's, it's all, they've got everything in place, but then he doesn't, yeah, like he, he mentions it's the cage and he's got the Fron Eric family and all of that stuff is together, but he leaves out that one element to make it look like absolutely the entire world is against Ric Flair. And yeah, he left it out. You're right. He, he, he made a mistake. He should have, he should have said something. And Ric Flair comes out and he says, yo, I'm going to hold this belt as long as I want to. I mean, you look back, he held it for the most part for another seven and a half years after this night. That's amazing. It really it, is. He, he, he owned, well, yeah, he owned the title from September 81 all the way through most of 89. Pretty much uninterrupted except for minor blips along the way. I mean, pretty minor blips. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of counting until he went to the WWF because Sting had it for about six months. Steamboat had it for about three months, and after all, after that, it was just quickies. Yeah, well, Harley had it for oh, that's uh, right, for like five months. So, you know, from from eighty one to eighty nine, he held it all except for maybe you know, so eight uh, eight years, like maybe seven of the years total out of the eight. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It really is, and. I mean, you know, again, this is going off the, the script a little bit, but I mean, when Ric Flair, it was like, you know, the fans were a little bit tired of Ric Flair at the end being champion, or some of them were, and it felt like we needed something new, but the fans 
wouldn't at the, at the on the other side the fans wouldn't accept anyone but Ric Flair it was it was yeah, I mean we're obviously nine years into the future here but that was a tough quandary for the old NWA yeah for sure and you know and you can see it in this interview there there's when you when you watch that interview there's no question he, he's the man yes he, uh, he knows he's the man he's telling you he's the man but he does it in a serious way like yes. I know I'm in for a fight, but the other guy, the other guy might die tonight because I'm the man. Exactly. All right. Now let's hear from the special guest referee, uh, Michael, not yet P.S. Hayes. Special referee, Michael Hayes. No disqualification. And there are the rules and regulation. No disqualification. And here is Michael Hayes, the special referee. I just want to say this real briefly. A world championship match is probably the most important match in wrestling, so I feel, especially with the cage around the ring, since I have been appointed by the NWA as a special referee, that we do need somebody responsible to make sure that nobody can get out this door. And that's why I bought my great brother Terry out here. Terry, Terry Gordy, Gordy then will be the gatekeeper. Be the gatekeeper. They'll lock the door. Okay. I, I'm going to whine a little bit here, audience. So we're recording this on Saturday the 17th at 4.45. Right now it is 4.45 p.m., and it has been pitch blackout for the past half an hour. That's what it's like living up here in the middle of winter. But anyway, the Terry Gordy now... Taking a step back, they dedicated the entire hour of this program to this match, and for, for good reason, I might add. Uh, Terry Gordy is announced as the gatekeeper. It is met with unanimous cheers. Kerry is surrounded by allies, Chris. He's got Michael Hayes as the ref. He's got David Manning as the ref, and he's got Terry Gordy guarding the door. This looks like it's going to be Kerry's night. Well, they, they did everything but do the, the Memphis, he's going to win the title or we refund your ticket. I mean, they, it's, it's absolutely everything they could possibly do to make you think that Terry, that Kerry's going to walk out of there with the championship. They did. And yet he still didn't. I remember that Memphis step. I, you know, I watching it and I'm like, okay, Austin Idol is hair thinning anyway. He's going to lose his hair, but wait, they're going to refund everyone's ticket if Jerry Lawler does not get his head shaved. I was like, okay, something weird's going to happen, and it did. Exactly. Well, and they repeated it again when when Jerry won the the world title. You know, Jerry's going to win the world title, or everybody, or they or will refund your tickets. Yeah. And- and you know they're not refunding anybody any tickets. <laughs> and they didn't even sell that out. And that was that was me saying, okay, Memphis isn't going to be around much longer. I, I mean, the fans are were so into this match. Everyone was on their feet before this match began. It, I just thought it was a phenomenal atmosphere. Yeah, they, and they they do it exactly right. I don't like that they brought Flair out first. I think the world champion should always come out come out second. But they. They really, really made it seem like the, 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 a big fight, not just your average main event. This is a, this is a big, big deal. They really set the atmosphere and the crowd, the crowd is, I mean, they've been waiting four and a half months. They can't wait to see Kerry win the title. I mean, I first saw this match almost 40 years ago. I knew everything that was going to happen. 
and they had me excited to see the match. And for good reason, I think as time has gone on, I have I had begun underrating this match a little bit. I'm like, yeah, it was like a four and a quarter, four and a half star match, but the angle at the end made it five star ma- a five star. No, in a vacuum, I thought this was a five star match. See, I, I won't go quite that high, but I'm with you. I, it's four and a half stars easy. I mean, the, the angle is 20 stars. It's the angle is off the charts, all time classic. The match itself is excellent. And, I was, and as I was watching it again last night, I was thinking to myself, you know, it, it were decades later and this match really holds up. It's not one of those matches where you, oh, you know, it was a big deal at the time, but I'm bored watching it. It doesn't hold up. Nope. No, it holds up. It's a violent, rough match with excellent action throughout. This is a really good match. I can't recommend it enough. And again, it's on Peacock. It's uh, they have it labeled as I think December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty two, but it actually aired in eighty three. No big deal. Kerry is so over. Okay, he's down on the mat. And Ric Flair is about to drop a knee on him, and you hear the girls in the audience screaming like they're watching a horror movie. Yeah, he's got he he absolutely has them in the palm of his hands in this match. Yeah, I mean Kerry was so over, and we'll have evidence of that as as the this podcast goes on. Now we get rolling. Michael Hayes calls for Ric Flair to break, and when he won't, he pushes Flair. But then he does it to Kerry, and they pan to the fans, and there is some concern in that audience. Like, what is Michael Hayes doing? David Manning basically is trying to get Michael Hayes calmed down, and he's telling him, hey, break the wrestlers without getting physical. Yeah, but, you know, I like that they had him do it both ways. Yes. You know, and so it's not, it's, he's, yeah, he's Kerry's friend, but man, he's not going to, He's not going to be biased in favor of Kerry. He's not going to cheat to help him win. He's going to he's going to cut it right down the middle. Although they do the thing that I hate in these kind of matches where they enforce the rules even though it's a no DQ match. Like when yeah. when when Kerry, when Flair is pounding on Kerry, uh, he's got him down. And he's pounding on him with with, with punches and stuff. Like, that's completely legal. Why are you breaking that up? Yeah, you know, you mentioned that Hayes started off like, yeah, sort of impartial, but you could tell he was beginning to favor Kerry, and you get the sense that he wants to get that three count on Ric Flair, and as the match goes on, he's making himself a bigger and bigger part of the match, and I thought the way they did it was fantastic. They did it one step at a time. They did, and you know, you mentioned earlier that Bill Mercer. You want to talk about him? How him? And I thought that I had kind of the same reaction. I, I have definitely crapped on Bill Mercer enough to fill a book, but on this night in this match, he was really, really good. Other than messing up and calling something a knee when it was actually an elbow, but for the most part, he does a really good job. And he, but he talks. He, he kind of talks you through Hayes. Oh, he's excited. What is Hayes doing? He's losing his mind. He's out of, he's get, what is he doing? Now he's out of control. And he kind of builds that, that, uh, that tension with Hayes as, as they do it in the match with each of Hayes' individual actions. Mercer's there to reinforce it on commentary. Like, okay, we're building towards something here. 
and he was very calm and very articulate doing it. You know, one thing, there were times when Bill Mercer absolutely came across as a Von Erich shill, but he, he was so calm, cool, and collected throughout this match. He was just impartially telling you what was going on. I, I, like you said, I'm not always impressed by Bill Mercer, but I thought he did a phenomenal job with this match. He absolutely did. Yeah, this is, this, if this isn't his best work, it's right up there. He did a really, really good job. I can't remember being more impressed with Bill Mercer than I was on this night. Now, about 10 minutes into the match, Ric Flair is literally and figuratively on the ropes. He's a bloody mess. Kerry has him in trouble. And then Flair goes after Kerry's knee, the same knee that he paid the great Kabuki and Gary Hart to injure. Once again, just that little thing that I thought that they did right. Yeah, and Kerry, Kerry comes in, he's got the knee brace on, and for once in his life, Ric Flair's going after the correct knee for his figure <laughs> four. <laughs> As I, I noticed that when he was, when he put the figure four on later, I, I was oh, finally Rick has got, Rick has injured the correct knee instead of the wrong one like he always did. But yeah, he goes after that knee, and it, and there were some subtle ones too, subtle movements in there, wasn't always the big kicks, there was something where he, like a quick punch to the knee, to stop one of Kerry's attacks. And yeah, he's got, calling back to the bounty and that whole angle with Gary Hart and Kabuki. Yep, exactly. Builds up all the way through. Kerry's got the injured knee and Rick's going after it. Yeah, now Kerry gets in the ropes. Now Flair's got him in the figure four. Kerry gets in the ropes. Flair won't, Flair won't let up. And now Michael Hayes takes Rick Flair by the back of his hair, drags him back and sends him flying. And it's more than just that. It's the facials on Michael Hayes. This guy is starting to melt down for real. Well, for yeah. re- not for real, for real, but you know what I mean. Yes, exactly. He's, you can tell, he, yes, they, again, he's building and now he's kind of, he's reached that tipping point and now he's, he's kind of lost his mind. And on top of it all, guess who's outside by the cage egging him on? Not telling him, hey, Michael, calm down, brother. Terry Gordy is pouring gas on the fire at this point. Yeah, just another great little thing. Yep. And yeah, he's, yeah, he's got nothing to do for half an hour, basically, but he fills that time by, you know, by, by waving Hayes to doing stuff and yelling at him and encouragement and definitely and doing all the things that you would kind of expect him to do because he's not really an official. A normal official would sit down next to the cage door and do nothing the whole time. But that's not Terry Gordy. Terry Gordy's that's his brother in the ring. He's su- he's supporting him. He's doing what he what he's he's encouraging him and doing what needs to be done outside to keep himself involved. You know what you mentioned that Terry Gordy is not an official. Again, it's the subtlety to it. They're also telling you, yeah, he's not an official. He's also not a really good guy. He's not making this situation any better. Exactly. All right. So now this time they're not. Kerry's not breaking. He's got uh, he's got Ric Flair in the ropes and Ric Flair's foot kind of grazes the ropes. And and Michael Hayes calls for a break. And now earlier he had tossed Kerry down the way he tossed Flair down and the crowd went quiet. It was definitely a mood changer. Well, it's again showing that he's, you know, Hayes is, he's quote unquote impartial. He wants Kerry to win. He's clearly rooting for him, but he's not going to let Kerry just do whatever the heck he wants. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, like I said, you, David Manning keeps telling him, hey, you know, break without getting physical with the wrestlers, and now he's doing bad guy stuff to Kerry Von Erich, but it gets worse. We have Kerry is on on top of Flair, pounding on him. Flair is a bloody mess. You could smell the title change coming, but then Ric Flair's foot grazes the ropes as this as this going is going on. Michael Hayes demands that Kerry Von Erich break despite David Manning telling him not to, and Hayes won't listen. He now violently pulls Kerry off of Ric Flair. Let's get the crowd's reaction to what's going on here. to this conclusion and his foot hits the bottom rope and now Hayes is calling a break David Manning said no it just touched the rope it was just sort of a reflex motion one and Hayes continues to try to break Harry Von Erich and now he's trying to break the hole the foot just raised the rope as though now Hayes is again for the sixth time getting physical and breaks the claw. And Kerry, understandably, is very, very upset about this. Hayes claims the rope. Look out! And now Terry Gordy has opened the door over there. There's your heel turn right there. Michael Hayes just crossed the line from being a good guy to a bad guy. I feel like I'm praising everyone too much. Bill Mercer was fantastic right there, just explaining everything, getting it over. Michael Hayes' facials are incredible. I mean, you could tell he is having a complete meltdown at this point. And hey, I mean, I, Tabe, I'm, I, I, am I overpraising this? No, everybody involved here did exactly what they were supposed to do, and they were at the top of their game. Mercer is excellent. Hayes hits every note. Carey and Flair are top-notch. Gordy is top-notch. David Manning manages to somehow not mess everything up. I, they're, no, you're not overpraising. This is, this is absolutely extremely well executed by everyone involved. Although, personally, I thought Hayes made the right call. Flair got his foot on the ropes. That's supposed to be a break. No, but his, his foot wasn't on the ropes. That, but, it, he, but it went on the rope and then came off. I mean, yeah, I thought it was. And, and if that was intentional, so if they intentionally had maybe. him just graze the ropes, then that's even better. That's perfect because now there's that ambiguity because you got people like you and me saying, no, 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 it doesn't, it, disagreeing on what should be done. I thought he made the right call. Maybe not, you know, but they do an excellent job of Manning and Mercer explaining that, no, just touching the rope isn't supposed to be a break. You have to get your foot over it. It has to stay all that very, again, here's that word again, subtle, mm-hmm. but really, really well done. I mean, they're, like you said, they're, they're hitting all the notes and they're doing the, they're, they're doing the, the little things. And that sometimes is what really matters in wrestling. And like I said, Michael Hayes is completely losing it at this point. And, and once again, Terry Gordy is egging him on. Ric Flair, Hayes loses it and actually punches Ric Flair. 
Flair goes down. He's already been had the snot beat out of him by Kerry. Then Michael Hayes grabs Kerry Von Erich and tries to put him on top of Ric Flair. Now, my, and Kerry Von Erich is not having this. He's not going to win the championship that way. Once again, a subtle little thing that they did so well on this night. Well, again, because it shows that no matter how much Kerry wants to win the title, he can't. He's he's still at heart a good sport and believes in sportsmanship and just can't take the championship that way. He's not going to be happy winning it through underhanded means where he's not the guy who actually won it, where he gets help doing it. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, that's a smart thing to do, in my opinion. Now, Kerry, Michael Hayes has had it at this point. He is the craziest person walking around the streets of Queens now, right? So Hayes decides, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm walking out. He loses it and he, he, he starts walking out the cage door. Kerry is trying to stop him. Michael, come on. Don't leave. Finish the match. Flair knees Kerry from behind, which sends Kerry into Michael Hayes. And, my, you know, domino effect. Michael Hayes goes flying. Terry Gordy sees this as Kerry attacking Michael Hayes, and he slams the cage door onto Kerry's head. Chris, it was an amazing, amazing sequence. They, oh, this is, this is wrestling perfection. This is so well done that everything all in that one moment and, and again, everybody executes it to perfection because Terry Gordy doesn't hold back. He rips that cage door onto Kerry some, and they had, of course they had a gimmick so it doesn't kill him, but it, it looks amazing. The visual is incredible. There's the clanging of the metal, all of that. And now Kerry is, is done for. And Hayes and Gordy are gone. Hayes and Gordy are gone. We talked about this uh, last week when Lou was on. I mean, for years, I thought the finish of the match should have been just, you know, flare pins carry. But I, I genuinely think they kept it going so that Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy could get the hell out of there. And let's be honest. There were, the security at, at world class was not always the greatest. I mean, this thing separating the fans from the wrestler was this pole, or these two poles, like a piece of dental floss hanging off of it. <laughs> you know, as I was going through my notes, because I couldn't remember exactly when it happened, just a few weeks after this at the Sportatorium is, is the infamous match where Terry Gordy blasts a guy and knocks him into knocks him over for challenging him in the in the face of the you know coming under the rope and getting in Terry's face and that's the exa- they had the exact same thing going on here at Reunion Arena yeah that I I still I still think the match should have ended with the cage door slam on his head and letting Car- and let Carrie gets pinned right away but you're right maybe if they if they foresaw that they needed a way to get Gordy and Hayes out of the arena and that's why the match continued on. Okay, I don't think that's why. I think they did it just to show that, you know, Kerry is a true fighter and all of that stuff. And he and he even makes a comeback after this. I still think he should have been pinned. This is if I had one gripe about the whole match and really the whole build for the whole the four and a half months into this one thing, it's that he didn't get pinned immediately. It should have been he gets knocked out one two three. 
And I, I could see that argument. You know, I could see you know, them saying to Michael Hayes, look, you know, we'll have an army out there getting you back to the dressing room. It really, it wasn't a, a long jaunt, but it was kind of a, just a dangerous run. Uh, the match ends. I mean, Ric Flair is out after a discus punch that Kerry throws after he has the door, the cage door slammed on him, but he's staggering all over the place. Kerry is clearly concussed. And after he lays out Ric Flair, Ric Flair is laying there ready to be pinned. And Kerry just can't bring himself in there because he's so out of it. David Manning has no, no choice, but to stop the match. And the crowd is stunned. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And he carry, carry sells this perfectly. He does, he hits the discus. He stumbles around. He kind of collapses and Bill Mercer, Bill Mercer, he does it. It's right in front of Bill Mercer and Mercer tells you, I can look in his eyes. They're glassy. He's gone. Again, perfection. Just so well done. And David Manning just, he's got to do the, the, he subtly, he, ra- he raises that hand up. And yeah, and now it's he's got to make the call that he didn't want to make. I mean, the crowd just became unplugged at that moment. I, I have to take us back a little bit. I got world class. This is right around the time I started getting world class on Channel 25 in Boston. And I mean, I remember that that fan obviously inebriated getting mouthy with Terry Gordy and Terry Gordy just jumps off the ring. The guy kind of shrugs at Gordy like, what are you going to do? And Gordy sent this dude into orbit. And when it happened, I was cracking up. And my phone rings. This is, you know, 40 years ago. And my friend's like, did you, are you watching World Class? I'm like, yeah, I'm like laughing hysterically. Did you see that guy? Courtney must have sent him flying 10 feet. Well, the best part about that is that the guy gets, gets up and he's like, hey, yeah, way to go, man. <laughs> yeah. it's like, he's like not even mad or anything. <laughs> like he realized that he, he messed around and he found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's he's clearly out of it. He's probably feeling it in the morning, but he's like, oh, okay, I'll get back up now. <laughs> so anyway, we now the the fans are stunned. A furious Kevin and David Von Erich come to the ring, and let's hear what happens then. And Kevin now talking about the door. Kevin wound up and. Angered and frustrated and bothered about his brother's injury and the loss of the championship as they check Kerry, still lying on the mat. But as the match went on, Michael Hayes became even more aggressive and more. Well, here's David. Gordy! I see! Hold it! I see now what you've given me and my family for Christmas. David Von Eric. Just realizing that Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, I, whether intentionally or by accident, have prevented Kerry Von Erich from winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Hayes, by his amateurish approach and to the referee, and to his mistakes, I think you have to call them mistakes, 
as he broke Carey with a head claw that could have won the championship. Flair was gone. And then, in his own frustration, leaving the ring. And Gordy smashing the door to on Carey's head. And now, Carey Von Erich being helped to his feet. And the still uncrowned champion leaving the arena. But certainly one thing has happened. Michael Hayes is no longer a friend of David Von Erich. David Von Erich, who was instrumental in bringing the Freebirds, Hayes and Gordy, to Texas. And you hear the crowd chanting, Carey's number one. Carey is still number one in the hearts and minds of these Texas fans. Now they're going to take Carey out now. Helping to the dressing room. Probably give him a further and very complete checkup. Such amazing storytelling here. Uh, David Von Erich comes out, and I, I like what you, this is what you give my family for Christmas, Michael Hayes. Uh, Bill Mercer, again, just did a phenomenal job right then and there, not getting carried away, but explaining that, you know, my, oh, Michael Hayes made mistakes. Michael, he had an amateurish approach to refereeing. Like, you know, he wasn't getting ex- wrapped up about it like a lot of, like every other announcer would. I, I thought the whole segment, the whole thing was fantastic. Yeah, this is really good. And, you know, I had two thoughts as I watched this again last night. First of all, I, they clearly deleted some audio from David Von Erich. Yep. So I want to know. I, I'm dying to know what he said. Something and, something generic, like I'm going to kick your ass, something like that. Yeah, probably. I'm sure he. Did, I'm sure it wasn't, uh, you know, some f bomb or something like that. You know, but I, yes, I'm, something that they they bleeped out. But you can tell there's there's a brief moment there where he's talking, and the crowd reacts to whatever he said, but you don't get to hear it. And the other thing, this is more of just a, a funny thing. I noticed as they run into the ring that. Kevin Von Erich pauses to take his shirt off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Make sure the crowd crowd gets a good look at you again, Kevin, because your brother's in trouble. He's not bleeding or anything, so you're not trying to stop the blood, but you got to just take that shirt off. <laughs> you know, I, I noticed that, too, and I'm like, maybe it's a weird uh, reflective, uh, not ref- reflexive thing that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm in the ring. I'm not supposed to be wearing a shirt. I mean, I noticed that, too, and I'm like, okay, I know what he's doing, but at least I have my weird uh, Mark explanation for it. You know, I think that's what I think that's kind of what it is that that wrestlers because Hayes doesn't wear a shirt when he's refereeing. Nope. And it's like the when you're in the ring, you just in if there's something if there's some kind of action going on, you're not wearing a shirt. You know, if it's a, if you're cutting a promo, maybe you're wearing a shirt or whatever, or a jacket or something like that. But if you're in the ring because something's happening, then the shirt comes off. But if uh, you see it all over the place. I, I used to laugh. Bruno Sammartino, like in the mid seventies, would do an, an interview, and he wouldn't be wearing a shirt, but he'd be wearing this like really expensive watch. It was a bizarre look. Speaking of looks, I, I, when I was watching the match, I'm like, okay, Michael Hayes looks like me in 1982, the jeans and the Nike Cortez, which I still have a pair of. Um, but then I was like, oh, Jordash? No, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you didn't have that chest hair and that beard in 1982, though. <laughs> uh, I think you'd win that bet, Tate. <laughs> 
you know, I, I'm going to get mocked for saying this. Now, I, I deserve it, but man, that, that Carrie's number one, Carrie's number one chance. I mean, I just got a lump in my throat when I watched that. I mean, and I, I, I've said this on the show before. If there's a chant in the crowd and you can hear it on TV, it's deafening on live. And this was a loud chant. I mean, it must have been deafening in the sportatorium, not the sportatorium. Yeah. Right in the in the in reunion arena, sure that's for sure. It it's it's awesome. I, you know, I didn't get the lump in the throat like you did, but it's awesome to see the fans. They still believe in him. They he you know I don't think they, they from this the fans. You know when you screw over a baby face, it can go two ways. You can have what happened in in the AWA where the fans kind of turn on on the the promotion or one too many times with Dusty uh, for Crockett. But here I didn't, I don't get the sense that the fans are mad at the promotion. They're, they're just upset for Carrie. Like he, he got screwed and you know, we need our hero to come back and fight again. I mean, that, that's an excellent observation that the fans didn't seem mad at the promotion that when people went home and someone asked them, and this, this happened to me all the time when I used to go to go to wrestling, you know, people would ask me, you know, when they saw me next, what happened? And I can just imagine someone saying, you know, okay, Michael Hayes, you know, David Von Erichs took, uh, came in and helped the Freebirds win the titles and then explaining what happened in that cage with Michael Hayes. I mean, that must have been something. I think that re- response at the end, it was a very positive and emotional response from the fans. If you booked that, if you're part of the promotion, you got to be hearing that and going, man, we just painted a masterpiece out there, and this is just the beginning. This isn't the end. We now we've got the entire year of 1983 looks. I mean, it looks fantastic. We're going to have the Freebirds against the Von Erichs, and we set it up perfectly. But right now, tonight, we painted a masterpiece. Uh, you, you nailed it. And again, everybody, everybody involved played their part to perfection. Everybody they did. Mercer and Hayes and Flair and Kerry. Everybody, the booking. All of every, all of the subtle things leading up to it, and they nailed it. They really, truly nailed it. And now they're they've they've strapped a rocket onto the back of the promotion, and they're ready to just print money. Yeah, this was one of the most influential matches of all time, like top five. And again, that to me, that's not hyperbole. World class championship wrestling came into this night. As kind of a mid-major promotion, kind of right up there with Portland, uh, maybe a step above Memphis because they have the Von Erichs, a step above Portland, Memphis, Calgary. But after tonight, man, these guys are going to be on the cover of national magazines. And this is the kind of thing. Well, they, they you know, they end up being beamed over to Israel. You know, the, without this match, does that happen? Were they already on TV in Israel? I don't think so. I think that was still still to come yet. You know. They, they've got the syndication in place because you're seeing them now in Boston. Of course, we didn't get them in Detroit because we never got anything good there. <laughs> you know, um, you so got the Sheik's promotion. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't even by the by the time I started watching that was that was long dead. You know, we didn't yeah. we didn't even get like the the Crockett syndicated stuff. And to, the only thing we got was the UWF for a little while in '86. But you know, we didn't get the we didn't get this show. We didn't get this. But it's all over the country. They've got the the high quality um, production values. 
they're ready to to make a step up to becoming like a major league promotion, and this match really set the bar for that. The promotion values. Now, I heard a long time ago from someone who would know, Mark Nolte, who's no longer with us, that they set up the, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks wanted the best quality production of Dallas Mavericks games. So he buys all this equipment, he hires all these people, and then he says, okay, what am I going to do with this? outside of those 41 games a year, and he contacted World Class Championship Wrestling and said, hey, hey, could you use us? And they said yes, and it was by far the best quality produced promotion out there, by far. Yeah, oh, it's, you know, and it, when we we did those shows reviewing and recapping uh, World Class, because I, I watched all of 82 to 85 uh, over again, and I remember years ago not really being all that impressed or not really noticing it, but watching it again in 1080p quality and seeing all of the things that they did, they were so far ahead of everybody else in terms of lighting and the quality of the camera work and all of the different multiple cameras and production and audio. They were way, way, way ahead of absolutely everybody else. One reaction I had at, when I first saw it was, okay, why are there guys with cameras inside the cage? But you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. It made for a better match and a, a better looking match. Last week, we were asked, we did a mailbag episode, and I was asked, what was my favorite match of 1982? It changed over the last seven days. I went with originally Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair from, or at least one that you could see on TV from August of 1982. No, this was my favorite match of 1982 by a mile now. Recency bias being what it is, but right now it is my favorite match of 82. So I think the one from August is a better match. That's that to me, the one from August is probably Carrie's best match ever. If it's not, it's right up there. But when you take in the whole package, you know, this, the, with the angle and everything else. Yeah, this is, uh, I'd have, I would have to think long and hard before I could come up with another match from 82 that I like more or that was better. And yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. But I can now, see why you would pick the one from August, because that is an incredible match. It really was. And Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair also had uh, incredible matches. That One was from Honolulu, and the other one was from New Orleans. The Honolulu one's pretty easy to find. The New Orleans one's not so much. In the beginning of 1990, Jeff Baldrin, a friend of the show, frequent guest on the show, had an article on the 100 best matches of the of the decade and he had this one and I used to be like no it was one of the Flair Steamboat matches again recency bias but I can I can go as far as seeing this as match of the decade all things considered because again you put a rocket on this promotion just like just like 1997 when you had Bret Hart against Steve Austin at WrestleMania and it just turned the wrestling world upside down. I don't think I'm overstating it when I say this match turned the wrestling world or at least the world class completely upside down. Yeah, I don't know if I would make I would say it was the best match of the decade again, but maybe if you take in all of it, you know, just from bell to bell, maybe not the best match of the decade, but for everything involved and for impact and everything, I could easily see this being the number one match of the decade. But yeah, it completely changes the fortunes. We're talking a promotion that earlier in the night had, 
you know, Mike Sharp and Ben Sharp and Tom Steele wrestling for their, their, their world championship. And now heading into 83, they're on fire and everything is looking golden. Yeah. And we will be doing, uh, we will be, uh, the Stick to Wrestling podcast will be doing quarterly reviews on World Class Championship Wrestling. That was kind of my intent coming into this tape, and um, I'm going to have you back really soon. We kind of have an unwritten, not really a rule, but a rule of thumb on Stick to Wrestling. I don't like having a guest on more than every like six months, but I'm going to break that rule because I, I we were originally going to do a January, February, March of 1985, and you've already watched that stuff. You've got your notes. I'm going to bring you back soon. But, yeah, we definitely got a, a good and long episode out of just these two episodes of World Class Championship Wrestling. And there was just a lot of meat on that bone. Tape, thanks for coming back. I, I look forward to having you back soon. Well, thank you for having me again. I very much appreciate it. Always always a pleasure to, to get a chance to talk wrestling with you and Lou as well. Thank you so much for having me back on. Well, again, thank you for, for coming on. You did a great job as always. I want to thank everyone for listening and we'll be back next week with the final stick to wrestling of 2022. I want to wish everyone the happiest of holidays out there to you and your family, whatever you celebrate, celebrate it, have fun, be safe, all that good stuff. But happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever else you got. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to thank Brian Last for giving me this forum. I want to thank Lou Kippelman for all the great work he does every single week. Lou, know that you are appreciated. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Go Vols, win that Orange Bowl. This concludes our podcast day. Thank you.